Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Science of the Covenant Live podcast. We welcome you back this evening as we prepare to close out the Feast of Shavuot or Pentecost today. If you tuned in earlier, the pastor began speaking on Pentecost and about the counting and the 50 days, and he's going to continue on uh, with the second and third part of uh, dealing with the Feast of Shavuot. So, Pastor going to turn it over to you okay thank you very much uh what we want to do is continue where we left off at last discourse we were talking about the pentecostal preparation and how we need to prepare for it and he gives us about 199 days to prepare for the pentecost or chevy oath which in the book of acts it says when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and when we were looking at the fully come, we were looking at the fact that they had to count seven Shabbats, and then 50 days after the seven Shabbats, and that landed up sometime in the summer to be able to uh, keep this particular feast. Uh, I was intending to get to the second part, but I didn't get to the second part, so we'll start with the second part, which is the Pentecostal promise so let us pray. Eternal Father, again, we seek your blessing. We ask that the blood of Yeshua, Lord, may cover us, because when we look at the Feast of Shavioth, oh, Father, we had to look back at Pentecost, not at Pentecost, but it looked back at Passover. And Passover was the time that we was put to death, and then they had unleavened bread and the first fruits that pointed toward the greater harvest to come. The first harvest was the harvest of the barley, and the next harvest was the harvest of wheat. So as we look forward to the Pentecostal experience, O Heavenly Father, we know that we are looking for a greater harvest than that which we now possess. So bless us, bless my host, bless those who listen, bless the speaker as he articulates that word, and most of all, bless each one of us that we may apply the principles to our hearts, that we may have a imprint of your divine, in, of your divine signature upon our lives, that we may be living epistles known and read of all men, that we are doing the things that you have laid down in your word, that they may be the path to the kingdom, Lord, that you have prepared for us. So bless us in the study, and as we get ready to close Shavioth out, we can close it out, Lord, knowing that you have been with us to guide us through this particular day. These blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, and for his dear sake we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, as I pointed out, we'll be dealing with the uh, Pentecostal uh, promise. What does it? What What does it promise? Okay. So what we want to do is take our Bibles and we, we want to turn into uh, uh, Revelation chapter eighteen, and in the book of Revelation chapter eighteen. I'm just going to read one verse as we uh, get started in our discourse. And here it states in Revelation 18.1, and it tells us, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. In other words, this is what we are striving for, because once the mark of the beast and all of the different anti Christ's messengers and people 
set up their scenario to exterminate the people of Elohim. Elohim is saying it's a time's going to come that this whole earth is going to be lightened with his glory, and that's what we're looking for. And when you talk about being lit up with his glory, when we look at the Pentecostal experience that they had in the book of Acts, it's similar to that. So when we talk about the Pentecostal promise, the Feast of Shavioth is about the future of the church, the future of the assembly of Elohim's people. So the Feast of Shavioth is about the future crop of grain after the barley harvest of spring. The promise of the wheat harvest was also a promise of souls, conversions. We are yet to experience a Shavioth which would exceed that of which we read about in Acts 2. In these last days, we must prepare and expect a greater harvest than we have ever witnessed before. A grander Pentecost is coming with which will exceed our greatest expectation. Yes, we are looking forward to the fulfillment of Revelation 18.1, when the whole earth will be filled with his glory and people of Yah must not be slackened in their zeal, in their pursuit of souls, nor must lessen their sowing of the seeds of truth in the expectation of the tremendous influx of souls. Elohim would not disappoint us, but it is us who are failing him. We must more intentionally in our devotional life in seeking heaven's only available power promised to us by Yeshua himself when instructing his disciples to wait for the promise of the Father. And when he was in the book of Acts, in the first chapter, he told them to wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. Don't go ahead. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes, and he will be able to direct you. No, no true reformation and revival can take place without him who is, initiates it. All too much human planning goes into the work of Elohim, void of his spirit. Human effort should not exceed that of the divine origin of all things. It was his son. It was his son which uh, commenced with the creation, and it will be his spirit which will initiate salvation. So we see when the creation first started, he started with the spirit, and when he starts the plan of salvation, he starts with his Holy Spirit. Human power must be aligned with that of the divine if we are to realize the latter reign. In its fullest, the Feast of Shavioth comes every year. However, it should not be celebrated simply by a routine observance of a ritualistic coldness that is not, that will not energize by the sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. We must make it a must that the Holy Spirit of Yah smears our assembly with his presence. In these last days, we cannot continue to assemble ourselves in these lifeless services, thinking that we are truly doing Yah's will. Neither should our assembly be characterized by induced emotionalism and fanatical expressions 
of Gerberish and posturing bodily behavior that is vulgar, that is vulgarly displayed sensationalism of our service is no indication of Yah's spirit than a cold formulism. If we would allow ourselves to be used of the spirit rather than try to use the spirit, the spirit himself we create in our assembly all of the holy excitement needed to bring about praise to Yahuwah and convict the wayward to change from the direction leading death to that of life. Make no mistake about it. The Holy Spirit of Yah is fully capable of bringing about all that is needed in the way of accomplishing what he desires it to do. Let not our human strength block the divine flow of power to bring about Yah's ability to convert his soul. We are the vessels being used by him to let his divine energy inundate us to carry out his will. So when we look at that, we are on the day of Pentecost expecting the power of the Holy Ghost to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That is what we call the Pentecostal promise. What does it promise? It's promised that God's power will overrule and override the human power to be able to bring about the results that heaven is looking for. And if we can do that, we can be able to accomplish, before this world is over, the great feat of bringing in the souls for the kingdom of Elohim. Now, the next part of our discourse, we want to turn to the book of uh, Matthew. And this time, we're going to be considering, in the book of Matt Matthew, we're going to be considering the uh, Pentecostal parable. We dealt with the Pentecostal preparation, the Pentecostal uh, uh, promise. Now we'll be dealing with the Pentecostal parable. So here we want to turn in the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew, and we want to start with verse 24. And this would be dealing with the Pentecostal parable. Now we're going to be making some um, scriptural uh, matching here. And so if you got your Bible, I want you to kind of be abreast with me. And so we're going to start at Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. And it reads thusly, Another parable put forth he unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Okay. So he is saying when you deal with the kingdom of heaven, it's like a man which sowed good seed in the field. And it goes on to say, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So what the Bible is pointing out is there was a man. He went forth to sow seed and he sowed that, that seed. But while he slept, uh, someone came and they sowed tares among the wheat. So now what, does that mean? Okay. Well, one of the things that is pointing out and how it aligns itself with Pente Pentecost is because Pentecost also dealt with wheat. Okay. It was time to deal with wheat. Now, when we get to the interpretation of verse 24, we turn to Matthew chapter 
30, uh, chapter 13, and we look at verses 37 and 38, and notice what it said. In verse 30, 30, 37, it says, And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. So what we are seeing here, he that sows the good seed, the Bible says, is the son of man. Now, we know the son of man is Yeshua, the Messiah. And then he said the field that he sows the seed into is the world. So when we're dealing with the Pentecostal experience and, and, and the experience of Shaviot, we are dealing with a harvest that is not just a local harvest, but we are dealing with a harvest throughout the entire world. So he is saying that the word, which is the seed, is sown into the field, which is the world. And he said the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now the grains of wheat would grow up to be the children of the kingdom, but the tares would grow up to be the children of the wicked one. The children of the kingdom and the children of the wicked one would be interrelated like this all over the world. In other words, when, when Elohim establishes agricultural laws, one of the agricultural laws was that you do not mix two crops together. But when you deal with the tree of knowledge and the good and evil, what Satan does, he try to put the evil with the good. What Satan does, he put the wheat with the tares. What Satan does, it put the people of Elohim with the people that he has. He tries to mix them together, which is breaking the agricultural laws, but it's also breaking the spiritual laws. So what we are examining here, that on the day of Pentecost, what makes it so important is that when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, it'll make a distinction who is the real people of Elohim and who aren't. And then when we look at Matthew, and we look at Matthew chapter 13, and we go to verse 25, it says, While men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So here we have uh, somebody sowing tares. How do we interpret that? Well, we go to Matthew's 13, and this time we want to look at verse number 39 to find out who this person is who is sowing those tares. Now, the Bible says the one that was sowing those tares, it says the enemy that sowed them in verse 39 of Matthew chapter 13, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. It's the devil sowing those seeds. And so when we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and when Eve was talking to the serpent, uh, the devil was using the uh, serpent as a ventriloquist, speaking through the serpent to Eve. And he sowed the seed in her. And so Elohim is saying that the enemy that sowed them is the devil. He sowed it in the beginning in the Garden of Eden with the first couple that was on earth. So that is the enemy. The enemy, the devil, wants to make sure he intermingles his children with Yah's children. He does his sowing at night when men are asleep. See, the devil does his work at night. He, he works in the darkness. He works not only in the darkness of daylight, but he works in the darkness of error, of spiritual error, 
in order to get people to be able to be one of his children. And so when we continue to read in the same narrative, we read in Matthew 13, and we want to read a little bit further. Now here in Matthew 13, in verse 26 says, But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared also the tares. And it goes on further to say, So the servants of the uh, householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in the field? From which then hath this tares? So now, when they observe the tares coming up, and they observe the wheat coming up, they recognize that among the good seed was also the tares. But when the blade was sprung up and they brought forth much fruit, says the Bible, it says, it, 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 it says here that when we deal with verse 26, but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared also the tares. So when the when the good weed was coming up, it would brought forth a whole lot of fruit. And then he says they saw some tares among the fruit. Okay. So the enemy, the devil, wants to sow that seed not on ground by himself, but he wants to sow that seed among the people of Elohim. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't find any satisfaction of sowing his crop all on his field. He wants to make sure that when he sow his seed, it's in the field where Elohim has sowed his seed to bring forth his children. So when we look at this, the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, this thou not sow good seed in the field, from which then hath it tares. And he said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servant said unto him, Will you then that go and gather them up? He said, will you let us go and gather up the tares? But he said, nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, we uproot or root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. So what he is saying is, is that his servants came to him and they said, you know, somebody has sown some, some seed in there. And so the householder who was over the plot, he says, an enemy, the devil, did that. And they said, well, uh, since he did it, we the servants, let us go and uproot the tares from the wheat. And he said, no, I don't want you to do that, because if you did that, you may uproot also the wheat. Now, what we notice about this part of the parable is that the servants of the householder, that there was some tares which had been sown among the wheat. Now, the householder didn't know that, but the servants, when they went out and they looked and they saw it, they came back to the householder and they said uh, to him, 
that we see some tears. And he recognized what they were saying was truth. And he he himself affirmed their truth by saying, yes, what you saw was correct. But also what you saw is what the devil did. So when we look at that and they say, well, let us uproot, let us uproot those tares. Now, the question which presents itself at this juxtaposition is, if the householder accepted what the servant said about the tares, then why couldn't he allow them to uproot the tares? For after all, they were the ones who gave him the report that there were tares. So if they gave him the report there were tares, they must have known what tares were. And if they knew that they were tares and he accepted and, and validated it, then why not allow them also to uproot them when they asked him to do so? Now, the reason he gave was that they might also root up the wheat also. So my question is, why accept their assessment of the tares and reject their solution to uproot them? So he accepted what they said about it, but he rejected them, take it up, take it up. So what would be the reason why he would reject them uprooting the tares when they are the ones that told him they were tares? So to me, they would have some discretion as to know if they saw the tares, what the tares were, and, and pull them up and leave the wheat if they had already observed them. But we must be able to see that this parable is not just talking about uh, wheat and tares, but it's talking about holy people and unholy people. And when we get to looking at who's holy and who's not holy, Sometimes we might not have the discretion to know who is and who isn't. So let's look at it from that standpoint. He says, no, let the wheat and the tare grow together. He said, no, let the people of Elohim and the people of the devil, let them grow together. He said, don't, 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 don't try to uproot either one of them. He said, because that is not your business. That is not your business. So if someone can see the problem, it doesn't always mean they can fix the problem. You can see a problem, but that doesn't mean you can fix it. Moreover, there are a number of scenarios as to why the householder didn't want them to root up the tares among the wheat. So let's look at some of them. In so doing, let us look at the growth uh, stages. Some of the wheat and the tares at their embryonic growth appears to be alike. In other words, when it's young and coming up, a lot of times the barley, but the wheat and the tares, they look like a blade together. They look like the, the same thing. Now, other tares and wheat may have matured a little bit more, but the younger uh, tares and the younger wheat they, they look so much alike, it's very difficult to tell them apart. So he said, let's, let's let it grow together. Now, and the servants, no doubt, didn't have the experience or the knowledge 
to note what was and what was not. Another factor was that certain stages of growth over a period of time may prove to be different from when the plant first germinated. Because when you look at a plant when it first starts off, it can look like grass, but then you let it grow, it it become a weed. However, since we know that the wheat and the tares in actuality really is talking about people of Yah and the people of Satan. Now, how can he make a distinction between the two was not up to how the servant saw it but the household is so different. How many times have an individual thought that in the world was a rank sinner and a person in good and regular standing in the church was a saint only to discover just the opposite? A lot of people have a good church front but when you really check out their life, they are very worldly. And you take some worldly people and you really check their life out, you'll find that they have a lot of uh, sanctification going on in their life more so than a church person. So a lot of things just doesn't turn out to be as it may appear. You may be, you may be saying, hey, I, could, I know how to pick out who's right and who's wrong. But you would know that because you don't have all of the facts on a person's life. You couldn't do that unless you had all of the information that you need on a person to be able to determine whether that person was Elohim's or whether it was Satan's. You, you just don't have that, that knowledge. Now, when we read in Matthew uh, 13 and verse 30, notice what it says. In verse 30, it says, let both grow together until the harvest. So he said, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather you together first the tares and bind them in bundles to be burned and to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay. Now he said, gather in verse 30, he said, gather them together for the harvest. Okay, now, when is, let's look at the harvest. Now, we look at verse 39 of the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew, and here it talks about the harvest. Verse 39 says, the enemy that has sown, that has sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the world. So he is saying here, let them grow until the harvest, and the harvest is at the end of the world. And at the end of the world, then I'm going to get ready to do some separating. But I have to be th thoroughly sure that the wheat that I'm looking at proves to be wheat and the tares prove to be tares. I, I, I have to see that. And the only way I can see that is let them grow to their full maturity. And when they grow to their full maturity, we will be able to determine that. But well, you couldn't. But my servant, not my servants, he said, but the angels... The angels would do that work. Now, he said, gather you together first the tares and bind them and put them in bundles to burn them. And verse 38 is saying that 
this is going to be done at the harvest in the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels, okay? He said the reapers are the angels. In other words, they are the one that's going to do this work. He said angels perform the task of separating the people of the kingdom from the people of the devil. Why, why is this? Angels minister us in this great plan of salvation. They keep records of our lives that aren't even known by the servants. Now, a servant can be those of us who work in the cause of Elohim. Moreover, a servant is also in the Bible referred to as a prophet. So we have the servants who are working for Elohim, and we have the servants who are the prophets who are speaking for Elohim. Those of us who labor and prophesy in his cause aren't called on this side of eternity to judge or to separate whose Yah's people are and who are the devil's people. That is not our task. We'll get a chance in the future to judge, but on this side of eternity, only the angels know. See, and angels have far more knowledge of each of us than we do of one another. They keep accurate records. They keep what we call the records in the book of life of all of the deeds that we are doing. They keep an accurate knowledge of our lives from our birth to death as to whose child we are or whose children we are. When we read what it says in, in, in verse 30 of Matthew 13, uh, 30, it says, but when he saw, when, no, I got the wrong one, but he says here in verse 30, let both of them grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, which are the angels, gather together first the tares and put them in bundles to burn them. So in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather them together, and the first bundle he's going to get are the tares to burn them. And then we read in verse number 40, 1340 says, As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. As therefore the tares are gathered together and burned in fire, so shall it be at the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels and shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gashing of teeth. Now, what he is saying here is that at the end of the harvest, he's going to gather out everything that offend in the kingdom. He's going to gather out everybody who participates in iniquity. Now, when we talk about transgression, sin, and iniquity. What makes iniquity different from transgression or trespassing? Okay. Now, what we need to understand that when he talks about getting 
all out of his kingdom that does iniquity, what he is saying here in verse 41 is, he says, and he says, you're going to gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. And in the latter part of verse 41 of Matthew 13, he says, and them which do iniquity. Now, what is iniquity? Iniquity is the type of sin that you plan to do. It's nothing that uh, you you make a mistake by doing. Just like when David took Uriah, took Uriah's wife, that was iniquity. He planned to do that. He had full knowledge that it was wrong. So Elohim is saying people who practice iniquity are people who know it's wrong, but they're going to do it anyway. And he said, I'm going to get all of that out of my kingdom. And what, what is he going to do with it? He's going to burn it up. He's going to burn it up. Now, what we need to understand that it says that he's going to take them and burn them where? In a furnace. So the Bible says here, he says, he shall gather them and to burn them in fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. And he's going to gather out that which offends and those who do iniquity. And then he says in verse 42, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be welling and gnashing of teeth. Now, what we want to look at, what is this furnace of fire? There are at least two furnaces of fire. Well, not it's only one furnace of fire, but it's going to be two times that that furnace is going to burn up. So let's let us look at what's going to happen to the tares, which are the children of Satan, and see the furnace that they'll be put in. And let us turn to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation chapter 19. And in the book of Revelation chapter 19, we want to look at verse number 20. Okay. Revelation 19:20. We want to look at where's that furnace of fire. Now the Bible says here in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20, it says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worship his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. So he is saying there's a lake of fire that burns with brimstone, and he said they both. Now, what it, when he says the both, who is the both he talked about? Well, he's talking about the beast, which we know is the false system of worship, and the false prophet persons that's teaching contrary to what the words teach. And so he is saying that his servants, or the devil's servants, that's like we say that Elohim have a true prophets, then Satan has false prophets. And he said the false prophet and the beast, they're going to be cast, both of them, into a fire that's burning with fire and brimstone. That's called the lake of fire. That's the furnace that he's talking about. But now there's going to be another burning in the same place. And we turn to Revelation chapter 20, and we look at verse 10. Now notice what verse 10 says. It's talking about the same place that the beast and the false prophet, they are cast into a lake of fire. Then it turns around and say, in verse 10 of the 20th chapter of Revelation, and the devil that deceived them that was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, 
where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So after the thousand-year millennium, after we have experienced heaven, he's going to come back, and the devil, the devil is going to be put in the same place that the beast and the false prophet were, the same place, because the Bible says it. He said the, the false prophet and the beast, they went first in the lake of fire, and then Satan, a thousand years later, he's going to come back, and he's going to be in the same lake of fire. So when it talks about the furnace, it's talking about the place where all of the tares will be burnt up. Okay, now we turn back, we turn back to uh, Matthew chapter 13, and we look at verse 30. Okay, Mac Matthew 13, 30. Okay, and the la latter part is what we want to deal with. We dealt with the burning of the tares, and the Bible says, but gather the wheat into my barn. He said, gather that wheat into my barn. Now, what we want to look at is, what is the barn? What is the barn? Well, the Bible explained what the barn is in the same chapter, Matthew 13, and we look at verse number 43. It tells us what the barn is, and that's what we want to be. We want to be children that can go into the barn, all right? Now, in verse number 43, it says, Then shall the righteous shine forth as a son in the kingdom of their father, who have ears to hear, let him hear. So the Bible says the barn is the kingdom of the father. That's what barn is, the kingdom of the father. And he says that the righteous shine forth as the son in the father's kingdom. Okay? So let us look at that. Let us first turn to the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, we want to look at the 12th chapter in verse number 3. Because the Bible says that these people who are going to be in the Father's kingdom, they're going to shine like the sun. So let's follow that narrative. Here the Bible says in Daniel chapter 12, in verse 3 it says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars, of, as the stars forever and ever. So in the book of Daniel, it is liking the people who turn those to righteousness, as the Bible says, they're going to shine as the sun. And Daniel is saying here, they who are wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Then when we turn to Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, notice what it says in Revelation chapter 21. And we want to look at a few verses there in Revelation 21. In Revelation 21, we want to look at verses 22 to around about 24. So here it says in Revelation chapter 21, that is, Revelation chapter 21, we want to look at verse 22. And the Bible says, And I saw no temple therein, for Yahuwah Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of Elohim did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. 
and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. So what we are seeing here is that once they get to heaven, they don't, but actually heaven is above the stars and the moon and the sun. The heaven is above that. So when they get to heaven, they don't even need the light of the sun, the light of the moon and the light of the stars. Of the stars. It says, because the fathers in his kingdom, he is the light and his son, who is the lamb of Elohim, who redeemed us. He is also the light. And the Bible says that when he redeemed us, he made us kings and queens. So when we come into the city, the Bible says that our light as kings are going to be joined with the light of the lamb and the light of the father. And that's what's going to light up the city of Elohim. So what we are looking at is the fact that on the day of Pentecost, what was going on is that when they began to preach under the power of the Holy Spirit, they didn't have to discern who was the who were the people of Elohim and who were the people of the devil. They knew how to separate the wheat from the tares because the power of the Holy Spirit, when it came into the assembly, was able to discern who should be saved and the people who were not saved. And so this is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit, because when we read this parable, it is talking about the wheat and the tares. And what the day of Pentecost is trying to do is to call an assembly of the people of Elohim together. And when the power of the, of the Holy Spirit comes down into that assembly, it'll be able to de determine and to separate the chaff from the wheat or the tares from the wheat the people of Elohim from the people of Satan, the people of, uh, of the Father from the people of the devil. And as a result of that, then that is the harvest that Elohim is looking to take to glory. So as we celebrate Pentecost, we are sowing the seed. And as we sow it from the days of Passover all the way up to Pentecost, it gives us time to get the seed into the human soil uh, uh, of mankind so that when we come together on that day, the power of the Holy Spirit can be able to manifest himself and to bring forth the true people of Elohim. Our loving Father, we thank you that we can be able to talk about the promise of Pentecost, which is the bestowal of your Holy Spirit, and talk about the parable of Pentecost, which is the separating the wheat from the tares, that you may have a people prepared to meet you in peace when you do come. We pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. So, um, in regards to the angels, do the angels know who's the whose children are Yahuwah's and which ones are Satan now? Or will that be known at harvest time? Uh, it'll be known at harvest time, but... Uh, they, they they know, but you see, he, he, here's the problem. Mm -hmm. If you read some passages in the Bible, they said they the angels are recording angels. They record everything we do. They get mm -hmm. they got the records on every life. But see, down here on Earth, there's a lot of people that are still living. See, and by them saying living, they haven't uh, terminated this life, mm -hmm. and so the angels are still writing. And some of the very people that are doing iniquity, they may change. Okay. Okay. They may change. And some of the people who are doing right, they may change to do wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
But the angels are recording them until their last moments on earth. And so when they died, the angels got their whole book there. Okay. Okay. So when we look from Adam all the way up to where we are, every person that has died, they got the record. You know, okay. ain't nobody can come out of that grave and say, well, I didn't do that. And the angel said, wait a minute, here's, here's the day and here's the hour that you did it. Uh-huh. You know, they got, they got all of that. Now, they may not know all of the living of how they don't turn out, but Elohim knows. He knows that because the Bible said the kingdom he made for us was made from the foundation of the world. He knows who's going to be saved and lost. But the angels, they are recording what Elohim already knows. But they may not know the outcome of everybody's life like Elohim does, but they do keep the record of the entire lifestyle. So I wouldn't go so far as to say that they actually know who's going to be saved and lost. They may mm-hmm. not know that. They don't okay. have that knowledge. Um, now, when it comes to the living, they're going to be recorded up into a certain point, and y'all going to say, okay, now it's good. What's, what's done is going to be done, you know, whether they make it in or not. Let me see. Now, the question is where? Uh, like, for the ones that will still be alive, uh, when he comes again that are living and the angels are still recording. So is there going to be a time where the Yah would tell them, okay, you're done recording because I'm about to come. It's no need anymore. Oh yeah. Well, that, that's a done deal. Yeah. Uh-huh. The reason why I say that that's a, that's the easiest part of the judgment is that uh, uh, when he get ready to come, uh-huh. And, and and I'll point this, I'll point that out to you in the scriptures too. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's the easiest part of the judgment. Uh, uh, when 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 he does that, okay. Now what you're looking at is, is the fact that when he comes in the clouds of heaven, mm-hmm. uh, the angels you know, they can still record it. But what I'm saying, he'll look over the, he'll look over the entire land from the from the east to the west, he'll look over the entire land. Mm-hmm. And he'll see what the people are doing. He will see the people that are actually living right and the people who aren't living right. Uh-huh. So the reason why I said that's the easiest part of the judgment, it, it, it's like a parent having children, and uh, he and, and you tell those children, I'm going out, but when I come back in, uh, I want to make, make sure that the house is cleaned up and everything. So they get to plan while the parents are away, and they don't clean up the house. So when the parent come back, and they see the house is not clean, it's a done deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, if the house ain't clean, you look at it and say, you didn't do your job. Mm-hmm. So when Yeshua comes and he see you still uh, involved in, in a lot of stuff that you shouldn't and talking a lot of stuff that you shouldn't, it's a done deal. Mm-hmm. You didn't do what I say. You didn't go where I say go. But then when he looked at the righteous, he said, it's a done deal for them too. Mm-hmm. They are still doing what I told them to do, and they are going where I tell them to go. Now, here's what the Bible says. Let us turn to Revelation chapter uh, 20, 22. This is what the Bible says. In Revelation 22, verse 11 says that when he comes, he says, he's going to say this. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. Mm-hmm. Why can't he say that? Because he's looking at your unjustice right now when he's coming. That's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then he said, he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And how can he say that? Because when he see you go on and get food, you still eating shrimp, you still eating pork, 
You're still eating everything that is filthy and unclean. He said, I'm seeing you doing it right now. It ain't something that they need to take a, a record of because I'm looking at you doing it right now. And then I'm looking at this other person eating a plant-based diet and eating clean meats and eating the things that he, I say eat. They are not filthy. You are because that's what you're doing against the Torah. Okay. And then he goes on to first and say, he that is righteous, let him be righteous to you. Because when I come, he said, whatever condition you in, that's what you're going to remain in uh -huh. because that's what you're doing. And then he said, he that is holy, let him be holy still. So when he comes, it's a done deal because he can see what the living is doing. Yeah. They didn't have to live the rest of their life. He said, I'll see what you're doing right now. Yeah. Um, we have a question uh, from a listener, and it reads, Are seven-day Adventists going against the word of Yahushua? In Matthew thirteen thirty, when leaders disfellowship people who disagree with the Trinity doctrine. Uh, well, see Matthew thirteen uh, thirty. Uh, well, let, let, let's let's turn out because uh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, let me see. Hold up. Okay, now, when you look at Matthew 13, 30, you're saying, uh, let them grow together in the harvest. Okay, I think that's what you're looking at. And so what you're asking is, they disfellowship somebody for not believing in the Trinity. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, I think your question in this, uh, not congruent, in this, in this sense, in this sense, is that this is talking about, we cannot make a judgment between the tares and the wheat. We, you know, it's not talking about, I don't think, doctrine per se, mm -hmm. even though it is talking about doctrine. He is saying that we are not capable of saying who's going to be saved or lost. Okay. Because I know when I was in high school, um, you know, I used to kick my heels up. And then when I got converted, I went down to Oakwood College and I came back, uh, I think it was for the summer, for the summer for a little while to go back down there and I got on a bus and I think I was around 63rd Street on the bus in Chicago and lo and behold I heard somebody say hey Richard Richard now look when I got on the bus and lo and behold it was one of my partners that I knew and uh, in in, when I was in high school I went to Dunbar High School and the, and the guy said he said man he, good to see you I said man good to see you too he said what you doing I said, well, you know, man, you know, I said, I don't do a lot of things I used to. I said, I'm, I'm going to school. And I think I told him I'm, 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 I went to a church school and I was studying the ministry. And the brother looked at me. <laughs> he said, he said, you, you studied for the ministry. He said, I can't even believe that. <laughs> I said, yeah, man. I said, I, I said, I, I, I said, I, I made a turn, man. So what I'm saying is, is that if they don't believe in the Trinity and, and you put them out of the church, that's a different thing because, see, uh, what he was looking at of, of, of how I was, how I was now how my life is. But your question is, if the church puts you out for not believing in, in, in the Trinity, mm -hmm. uh, that's not putting you out the kingdom of Elohim. See, that that can, that, that doesn't put you out the kingdom of El, El, Elohim. See, the that's a different scenario altogether. A uh, church may can do that, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. but Elohim has it on the books <laughs> uh, that you can still be saved even though you've been put out of the church wrongly. You know, you can still be saved. It's just that that church is 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 doing some discipline on you that uh, they may not be realizing even what they are doing. Mm-hmm. And they are just simply following... Uh, the 28 doctrine, uh, the 28 or the, I, well, I guess they, they got a book now. Uh, it may be, it may be a lot. And I think the last time I looked at the book, it was more than 28 doctrines of the Adventist church to believe. I think it's in the thirties now, mm. but if they quote about the, about the Trinity and you don't believe in the Trinity, then they, that, that don't mean that you excluded from the kingdom of Halloween. It just mm-hmm. means you excluded from that church. To, that that that's not going to get you there. What what he is talking about here is your character, is your character in line with Elohim, not so much your doctrine. Now, when it comes to the doctrine, one of the problems with not only the Advent Church or the Seven Day Adventist, many other churches have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. Now, let me just put this out: you cannot arrive at truth by voting. Okay, mm-hmm. you can't say, "Well, we're going to vote." And, and say whether we should believe in a trinity or not. You got to study in the word to come out to see what the word says. You can't say we're going to vote truth. That's just like we get you go into a, a, a meeting and like we have uh, the quinquennium, I think every five years we have a general conference. And we say, well, we're going to go to general conference. You know what we're going to do? We're going to vote whether or not uh, we need to keep the Sabbath. And if we get a vote and we get the majority of the people say we don't need to keep the Sabbath, we won't keep it. Ain't no way in the world you're going you're gonna to vote the Sabbath. Elohim said you keep the Sabbath. It's here for eternity. You can't go into a meeting and vote that. It's no way you can vote it. But yet they voted on the Trinity. How are you going to vote on the Trinity? You can't vote because the very thing that you are voting on is what the Council of Nicaea the Council of Nicaea was the Catholic Church for many years, hundreds of years. They debated, was, was Yeshua fully God or was he fully man? They debated stuff like that. And then when they got to the Trinity, that's how the Trinity got to us. Mm-hmm. Because they voted it. It was not studied. So if somebody say you don't believe in the Trinity, they're going to put you out the church. They don't put you out the kingdom. They just put you out that church. And I'm not trying to be facetious, but if they put you out to church for not keeping the Trinity and you don't believe it, maybe you don't need to be there anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was I would say. You know, maybe that's a sign from the most high saying that's not a place you're supposed to be. And all. Uh, yeah. And that's one thing uh, you know, I look to I want to deal with in the let's talk about it segment, you know, what does to come out of her my people mean? You know. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when it comes to uh, religion and everything. But, uh, you know, it's interesting that Satan is mingling his seed amongst the righteous seed to the Mm -hmm. point. And it kind of goes, too, with these churches, too, and these organizations and religions. Are a lot of those, you know, it seems like a lot of them are intermingled with what we think are righteous and it's making it sometimes unless you read and study scripture difficult for us to kind to see what is holy and unholy because Mm -hmm. especially when you get a pastor 
who's getting up in the pulpit preaching and you're not studying and is going against what what uh Yah is actually saying, you know, because honestly, I'm starting to hear so many different messages from people. Even people you think that are constantly that may be kind of righteous is so many different messages. And I'm just wondering, is it just one of those things towards the end is basically your relationship with the most high and he looks at your heart and uh, because it's a lot of stuff out here. Honestly, it's confusing. Yeah, well, you, 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 you know, as you pointed out and as we were talking, you know, he mingles, you know, the wheat and the tariff together. That's that's his whole thing. Uh-huh. And all of that goes right back to the tree of knowledge and good and evil. He's going mix, to uh-huh. mix good with evil because Evil can't stand alone. It has to have something to brace itself. Yeah. But see, goodness, that can stand alone. It doesn't, it, it's not a parasite. It mm-hmm. is the truth. So it has its own life. But falsehood has to be a parasite to get life from those who have life, which is the true word. So when you got good and evil, and then you got the wheat and the tares, and then you got the people of Elohim with the people of, uh, of the falsehood, and they mingle together, he's, he's trying to confuse you. Yeah. Matter of fact, one of the words that we use for mingle or mix is the word Arab. See, an Arab is a mixed person. Mm. He has, it's, it's a mixture of evil, you know. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about an Arab, it's a mixture, okay? So that's what the devil does. Like I said, in agriculture, uh, even Elohim said, you don't mix the seed together. You you put, the, put them in separate plots. Mm-hmm. But the devil comes and he makes the agriculture laws, both physically and spiritually, by trying to put them together. And so... When we when we get that, and you go and you listen to people in the church, and they say something, and you say, "Where is that found in the scriptures?" Well, mm-hmm. they can't find it, but yet and still, traditionally, they've been doing it all of the time. Yeah. And I'm saying, well, if it's not in the scriptures, why are you doing it? Well, I don't see nothing wrong with it. Well, if Elohim doesn't have it in His Word, and you say you following Him, how can you follow Him and you follow stuff that is not in the Bible? And this is one of the main things that. Uh, Yeshua was dealing with with the Sadducees and the and the scribes and the Pharisees. He said, "You have taken your traditions and put it over the word." Mm-hmm. He said, "A word should be first. You shouldn't take your tradition and, and 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 replace the word with that. That we can have all kind of stuff in the church that shouldn't be there. And then when you start taking the stuff that should be there, people say, "No, we don't. We we don't. We don't want that." But then you tell them about some stuff you got in the, in the church that shouldn't be there. They say, well, I don't see nothing wrong with it. Well, see, that's confusion. Uh-huh. That's Babylon. And that's what happened in the book of Revelation when he, he's talking to the people. Here's what he says in the book of Revelation, chapter 18. And you look at verse 4. He said, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins and that ye receive not of her plagues. Uh-huh. So what it is basically saying here, there's a system of worship that is corrupt. He said, come out of that stuff. And then there's a, 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 a system of worship that is correct. He said, you stay in it. Now, how do you stay in it? Well, it's two ways. Number one is sometimes you you just have to have a small group of people meeting together. You, you don't need a whole lot. You don't need a whole lot of people to worship. Uh-huh. Elohim says, we're two gathering in my name. I'm in the midst of it. So that means you may have two or three people just worshiping. A lot of people just have to have a crowd. You don't need no yeah. crowd. 
All you need is a few people who want to do what Elohim wants to do. And then you can get a crowd and they ain't doing anything what they want to do. But you are so in love with those crowds and the relatives of, uh, of people and your friends that you can't separate from them to worship the true Elohim. So what do you do? You forget about the Torah. You forget about the teachings of Yeshua. And you just go with your friends. And this is why the Bible says, wide is the road that leads to death. And many go on that road. But very few find the road of life, but they follow it. But mm -hmm. it's just a few. So you might find yourself that you and your family or just you and a couple of people that are really worshiping as Elohim wants you to worship. And a lot of people, they may know the truth that you have, but they say, hey, you know, it ain't nothing to what y'all doing because it's just a few people over there. Well, well, there's only a few people that got on the ark. It was only a few people that were saved in Sodom and, and, and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. And Elohim says it's going to be a few that find, find life. So I think uh, my Elohim is saying, hey, I deal with the few who are right. I'm not dealing with the multitude that is wrong. Yeah. And just to reaffirm, you said the furnace of fire equals the lake of fire, and the mm -hmm. barn is the kingdom of the Father. Yeah, that's what we're looking to be the wheat, to be in the kingdom. Okay. And Pentecost is, is going to separate, you know, the... Uh, the chaff from the wheat. That's what Pentecost is. When, that, when, when this church gets the power of the Holy Spirit, when mm -hmm. we get the power of the Holy Spirit, let me put it that way, it's going to separate the, uh, the wheat from the chaff. Mm -hmm. We can't do that. The Holy Spirit knows. Elohim's Holy Spirit going to separate this thing. And this is why we got to pay for the inundation of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when we get the power of the Holy Spirit, nobody going to be able to lie to us and, and do all of that. In the book of Acts, it says well, when Sapphire and Ananias had schemed and connived, and sold a piece of property. Then they came to Peter and the apostles talking about, well, we sold it so, for so much. They took part of the price, and then they put a, a, another part of the price uh, in the church. And mm -hmm. Peter said, you're not lying to us. You're lying to the Holy Ghost. So when we get the power of the Holy Ghost, he's going to separate the truth from the false. That's why we need the power of the Holy Ghost. And that's what Pentecost is about. It's to let us know we need the Holy Spirit in order to be able to do what we cannot do. Mm. Well, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out this podcast and soon close out this holy feast day of Shavuot? Father, we thank you that we were able to come together and just discuss another facet of Shavuot. And as we continue to keep it, help us to keep it better and better. We are learners in the school of Yeshua, and as he teaches us, Lord, help us to have the power to do through the power of your Holy Spirit. You baptized us in your blood when you died on the cross. And when we're down to the watery grave of baptism, you baptize us with the word to make us fresh and clean. And then you baptize us with the Holy Spirit, O Heavenly Father, to be able to have the refreshing and the power, Lord, to not only do your will, but to teach your will and to be able to help others to be able to see clearly what you would have them to do. And as we commit ourselves, Lord, to your cause, we ask that your power of your Holy Spirit may be so rich in our lives that when we speak and we say good morning to someone, they can see that we have been in the audience chamber with you. So we ask that you would continue to bless my host, bless me, bless each of our listeners, Lord, that the power of the Holy Spirit may do for them and their families that which is needed. And as we go from this day of Pentecost, we're looking for the next festival day is to be the day in which we blow the trumpets, O Heavenly Father. 
and get ready for the Day of Atonement and then for the Feast of Tabernacle. But until then, we ask that the same Holy Spirit, Lord, that has led us on this day may lead us in the days of head, that we may be the children that you would have us to be. And when you do come, the Holy Spirit will have separated the wheat from the tares. And may we be a part of the wheat to be in your barn, to have a life that will measure with the life of Elohim throughout eternity is our prayer in Yeshua's name. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. So we want to thank you for tuning in on this holy day, uh, the Feast of Shavuot. Uh, if it's still, sun hasn't set where you are, uh, we hope you still enjoy the rest of the few minutes that you have until the sun sets. And we look forward to all our listeners back on psychov.com on Saturday, our holy Shabbat at 1 p.m. Peace be unto you. Shalom. Okay.